The name of Jesus is whispered over and over again in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before he was even born. And it's whispered in creation when God said on the sixth day, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. The unmistakable use of the plural pronouns in the text of Genesis 1.26 refers to the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Many generations later, we read in Colossians 1.16 and following, by Him, that is by Jesus, all things were created. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And the name of Jesus is whispered again in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, as the seed of woman would have his heel bruised, but in the process, he would crush Satan's head. And Jesus is indeed the wounded victor who has conquered sin and death by the cross. And his name is whispered in the rainbow that appeared in the sky after the global flood survived by Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives. God said in Genesis 9:12, this is the sign of the covenant I am making, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever the rainbow appears, remember my covenant. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. And I hope, friends, that every time you see a rainbow, you stop and think about why it's there. It is tangible. It is a visible reminder of God's promise not to destroy the earth with water again, but to save us by His grace, just as He did Noah and his family, because Jesus Christ is our righteousness. Then in Genesis chapter 11, his name is whispered again when people determined that they could get to heaven by their own human efforts, attempting to build a tower. But the way to heaven is not a man-made tower. It is a God-given Savior. People could never reach heaven, so heaven came down to people. Do you hear the name of Jesus being whispered in the Tower of Babel? In Genesis chapter 12, we have the story of Abraham. He is the one, Jesus is the one, from the lineage of Abraham through whom all peoples on earth would be blessed. And it was just two weeks ago we learned that Jesus indeed is the blesser of nations. Well, this morning you're going to actually receive a twofer. You know what a twofer is. This morning, you're going to get two Old Testament stories for the price of just one. Genesis 22, Exodus chapter 12. In both stories, Jesus is the lamb for offering. So we come to Genesis 22, verse 6 and following, where once again the name of Jesus is whispered. I want you to see if you can hear it. I want to read to you from the Jesus Storybook Bible. Now, I was sitting one night in a reclining rocker with my youngest granddaughter, London, and I read to her from this storybook for the first time, and I noticed on the front it has every story whispers his name, and I thought, wow, that 
that would be a great series of messages. And so from that night reading from this storybook, we have this series of messages right now. I want you to see if you can hear the name of Jesus being whispered in this story from Genesis 22. God knew that his secret plan could only work if Abraham trusted him completely. God had to make sure Abraham would do whatever he asked. So a few years later, God asked Abraham to give him a present. Abraham liked giving presents to God. He gave God his animals. They were called sacrifices, and they were a way to say, I love you to God. But this time, God didn't want a lamb or a goat. God wanted Abraham to give him something more, much more. He wanted Abraham to give him his son, his only son Isaac, the son he loved. Put his boy on the altar and kill him as a sacrifice? How, how could God want him to do such a terrible thing? Abraham didn't understand, but he knew that God was his father who loved him, and so Abraham trusted God. Early the next morning, Abraham and Isaac set off. They climbed the steep stony trail up the mountain. Isaac carried the wood on his back. His father carried the knife and the coals. Papa, Isaac said, we have everything except we forgot the lamb for sacrifice. God will give us a lamb, son, Abraham said. They built an altar and laid the wood on top. Abraham asked his son to climb on top of the wood. Isaac didn't understand, but he knew his father loved him, and so he trusted him. He climbed up onto the altar and... Abraham tied his boy to the wood. Isaac didn't struggle or try to run away. He just lay there quietly and didn't make a sound. Everything was ready. Abraham took the knife. Tears were filling his eyes. Pain was filling his heart. His hand was shaking. He lifted the knife high in the air. Stop, God said. Don't hurt the boy. I want him to live, not die. I know now that you love me because you would have given me your only son. Abraham felt his heart leap with joy. He unbound Isaac and folded him in his arms. Great sobs shook the old man's body. Scalding tears filled his eyes, and for a long time they stayed there like that in each other's arms, the boy and his dad. Suddenly, Abraham saw a ram caught in the brambles, the sacrifice. God had given them what they needed just in time. The ram would die, so Isaac didn't have to. And so Abraham sacrificed the ram instead of his son. And as they sat there on the mountaintop, watching the embers of the fire die in the cool night air, the stars above them sparkling in the velvet sky, God helped Abraham and Isaac understand something. God wanted His people to live, not die. He wanted to rescue His people, not punish them, but they must trust Him. One day, someone will be born into your family, God promised them, and He will bring happiness to the whole world. God was getting ready to give the whole world a wonderful present. It would be God's way to tell His people, I love you. Many years later, Another son would climb another hill, carrying wood on his back. Like Isaac, he would trust his father and do what his father asked. 
He wouldn't struggle or run away. Who was he? God's son, his only son, the son he loved, the Lamb of God. Now, you, don't, you know, don't you, that an incomplete understanding of passages like the one that I just read to you gives God a bad name with unbelievers. Some listen to this account or they read this account in the Bible and ask, what in the world? It's harsh and repulsive for God to ask Abraham to sacrifice his son. Wait just a minute. We need to adjust our perspective. Remember that Abraham came from a culture where human, even infant sacrifices to non-existent deities was commonplace. And Abraham's own father was involved in this kind of brutal pagan worship. Can you see what God is doing? In a dramatic, in a visceral, in an emotionally impactful way, he is saying to Abraham, there are not many gods. There is one God, and I am He, and this practice of human sacrifices is over and done. It is detestable, and it must stop. Yes, he was, he was testing Abraham's faith, but he was also making a statement about who he is and how he is to be worshipped and how he values human life. Don't focus on God's command for Abraham to sacrifice his only son. Instead, focus on Abraham's confident faith in God's goodness. He's the one who should have been offended. He's not offended. Genesis 22, 5, he said, the boy and I will go over there. We will worship, and we, then we will come back to you. And when Isaac questioned his father, asking, where is the lamb for sacrifice? Abraham confidently responded in Genesis 22, 8, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Just a little grammatical tidbit here. In the Hebrew language, the original language of the Old Testament, verse 8 employs an action verb that is reflexive, which means a literal translation of what Abraham said would be this, God will provide Himself the Lamb. And that's exactly what He would do in that same general location. Mount Moriah would later become Mount Calvary where God in Christ provided Himself the Lamb for offering to take away the sins of the world. One of the big issues with unbelievers is why God in the Old Testament orders the systematic extermination of the Canaanites, men, women, children, livestock. And why does He order capital punishment in Mosaic law for offenses like Sabbath breaking and cursing a parent or striking a parent or kidnapping or murder or adultery? Let me ask you men something this morning. If you were relaxing at home in the evening when an intruder burst into your home and physically attacked your wife, threatening to kill her with a box cutter, if you knew it was going to be her life or his and you had the power, would you do it? Would you take his life? 
Or if you were awakened in the night by the screams of your middle school daughter and you ran to her bedroom to find a predator bending over her bed, wouldn't you fight to the death if necessary to save her life? You see, I would consider passivity by a father in such moments to be irresponsible, to be loveless. Listen, there is a protective dimension to love, and any caring father or mother understands this. So it's ironic to me, no, it's, it's tragic to me, that people whom God has loved and protected by His active engagement in biblical history to ensure their opportunity for salvation could turn around and judge Him to be inhumane. Please. God judges sin on the earth and in eternity because of what sin does to people He loves, because He is holy and righteous. Do we really want God to be tolerant of evil? What if He had not intervened? What if He had not intervened in history to preserve a righteous monotheistic people in the Old Testament? Then there would have been no Messiah, no Savior, no hope for you and me. So, so to dismiss Him... To reject his protective love is a prideful act. And anyone who disregards or disrespects God, they are in the process, you understand, becoming gods themselves. And the end result, our judgment of him actually becomes judgment of ourselves. What a tragedy to shun the protective love of our Heavenly Father. The measures taken by God in the Old Testament to save His lost creation should never be considered cruel, but loving. In this story, we find a word that's mentioned for the very first time in the Bible. It's the word love. The word love is mentioned in the Bible the first time right here in Genesis 22, verse 2, when God said to Abraham, take your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Now, you would think, wouldn't you, that the first mention of love in the Bible would be in connection of the love of a man for his wife or a mother's love for her children or even someone's love for God. But instead, it's the love of a father for his son. And do you know where the first reference to the word love is found in the New Testament? It's in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, at the baptism of Jesus. God the Father said these words, This is my Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. And the first occurrence of the word love in the next two Gospels, Mark and Luke, are also found in their accounts of Jesus' baptism. Same basic words as you find in Matthew and then when we get to the Gospel of John, we're silenced in awe when we read the very first verse in John's Gospel containing the word love. It's John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, God shouts from heaven His love for His Son. And then in John, He tells us that He loves us so much that He gave His Son that we might be saved. So love begins in Genesis with God saving Abraham's son from being sacrificed, and then in John, God sacrificed His Son for you and me. 
Michael Card has written a song based on Genesis 22. It's called, God Will Provide a Lamb. And there's a line in that song that sums up the real significance of this story. It says, what Abraham was asked to do, God himself has done. He has offered up his only son. In Genesis 22.6, we read these words, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. The name of Jesus is whispered. John 19, carrying his own wooden cross, Jesus went out to the place of the skull. Here they crucified him. And so, and so we see God's plan through the ages. But for, before we move on, I need to ask two questions. Number one, do you love God more than anything or anyone? Abraham loved Isaac as much as any father could love a son, but he loved his heavenly father more. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 37 and following, anyone who loves his father and mother more than me is, is not worthy of me. Whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Do you love anything or anyone more than God? Last night at the conclusion of the service, a young adult, young lady came down for prayer because her boyfriend of five years had told her that he was an atheist. And so she was wrestling with this question that was asked, do you love anything, anyone more than God? Comes right down to it in moments like that, doesn't it? Well, then the question that logically follows is this one. Have you taken up your cross? So what are we talking about here? Luke's account of the cost of discipleship says, says it like this. Luke 9.23, if anyone would come after me, he must, here, deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So the cross means, here, the daily execution of your ego. The daily execution of your preoccupation with you. It's a crucifixion of your self-will, your pride, your self-indulgence, self-projection, self-evaluation. This is true humility. See, I believe that Isaac went along with the sacrifice of his life. I think he figured out what was going to happen. Unlike our silent video of a few minutes ago, the Talmud, which is a Jewish holy book, historical book, says that Isaac was 33 years old at this time, which would have made him the same year, same age as Jesus when he was sacrificed. Here's the point. Isaac could have resisted his aged father. He did not. There is no self-preservation in Isaac. There was no self-preservation in Jesus who said, no man takes my life from me, I lay it down. And we, like Isaac, like Jesus, are to voluntarily deny ourselves and take up our cross daily. I'll never forget the emotion I felt the day I was working in my son's house. 
I walked into his closet and read these words scrawled in big letters on the back wall. I die daily. That's what I'm talking about by taking up your cross. Well, we've got to get to our second text this morning. I promised you two for the price of one. But before I read it, let me frame it for you. For 400 years, the Israelites had lived in harsh conditions as slaves in Egypt until God raised up a leader named Moses. And Moses went before Pharaoh with a message from God, let my people go. Well, Pharaoh refused. And what followed was a contest during which a series of nine plagues were unleashed on the Egyptians and their pagan gods, the Nile River, the flies, the frogs, the boils, etc. But, but the Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't let God's people go. So the tenth and final plague was the death of the firstborn in all the households of Egypt, except the households that were protected by the blood of a sacrificed lamb applied to the doorways. The blood on the wooden doorpost meant that death would pass over that family, thus the name Passover, a 3,500-year-old annual celebration by the Jews. Here's the story, Exodus 12, 21. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and both sides of the doorframe. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, He will see the blood and will pass over, and He will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. The name of Jesus was whispered there. Did you catch it? Generations after Abraham, His name is whispered again as the lamb for offering. It was prophesied in Isaiah 53, verse 7. He, that is the Messiah, was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Later, John the Baptist was the first to put it all together. The first time he laid eyes on Jesus coming toward him, he said, Todd read it for us earlier, John 1, 29, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. <laughs> He put it together with Isaiah's words. He took our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. By His wounds, we are healed. It's a beautiful picture of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. So what are the basic truths from this story that whisper the name of Jesus? There are three. The first one is this. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is the only person in history to meet all the qualifications. He fulfills every detail of the Old Testament predictive prophecy. And when Jesus was taken to the temple shortly after His birth, old Simeon took Him in His arms and blessed Him, and He said that Jesus would cause the rising and the falling of many in Israel, indicating that while some would follow Him, others would bitterly oppose Him, and that's where we are today. Today Jesus is still rejected. 
by those who prefer a political deliverer, an earthly kingdom, those who do not accept Jesus' announcement of a kingdom that is not of this world. And today some people just don't think they need the Lamb as an atoning offering for their sin. They prefer to live with it and to live under it. Well, secondly, there's no salvation without faith in the Lamb's sacrifice. You see, the deliverance of Israel from the destroyer in this passage in Exodus 12, this preservation from the death of the firstborn was based solely on who was under the blood of the Lamb. God didn't save on the basis of works. He didn't save on the basis of morality. He didn't save on the basis of status. He did not save on the basis even of nationality. If the Egyptians had put the blood of the Lamb over their doorposts, they would have been spared. The warning of God is simple. All those under the blood would be saved. Those not under the blood would be judged. And the same, same thing is true today, my friends. You're either inside the household of faith or you're on the outside of it. Judgment is based on the blood of Christ, not on our goodness, on our worthiness. The blood of the Passover lamb on the doorposts foreshadowed the blood of Jesus on the cross beams. And Jesus once declared, I am the door. And we voluntarily pass through that door or not. We exercise our free wills to choose whether we will be in Christ or not. And to be in Christ is to be covered by the blood of the Lamb. Hebrews 9.22 reminds us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Jesus alone is the only way to salvation. And that's why it says in Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven other than Jesus given to men by which we must be saved. Third, when you know the Lamb, when you know the Lamb, you will want to follow Him. I want you to notice what happened when John the Baptist identified Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 35. It says, the next day John was there again. That is where he had seen Jesus just the day before. He goes back with two of his disciples, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. When John's disciples knew who Jesus was, they followed him. And we've learned from God's Word today who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. He is the Lamb of God for offering. So are you ready to follow Him? In Revelation 14.4, John identifies the redeemed standing with the Lamb in heaven. And here's what he writes. These are those who did not defile themselves. They kept themselves pure. They follow the Lamb wherever he goes. A lot of truth said from up front today. I just want to know that 
this morning. Do these truths line up with where you are today? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, or as John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Do you understand that there is no salvation without putting your faith in Him? Do you understand there is salvation in no one else? Are you ready to follow Him as your, as your Lord?